Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Interview, where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Tom Clark, editor of Prospect Magazine, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by my colleague Samir Rahim and the science writer Philip Ball to talk about our Prospect Top Thinkers to Rebuild the World. We named 50 of them in all in July, and then we asked readers to vote for their top pick uh, for 2021. And from a list that ranged from the acting and writing sensation Michaela Cole to the paradigm-shifting philosopher Judith Butler and the love-him-or-loathe-him tech guru Elon Musk, it was hard to know what way the vote was going to go. But had you heard of Jakob Hanna? For now, he's far from being a household name. A Palestinian embryologist is, to prospect readers, apparently the most revered mind of 2021. A non-binary Palestinian biologist who grows mice embryos partly in the hope of facilitating lab-grown humans' uh, organs for transplant later, Hannah reflects the way that the idea of the public intellectual has changed since the days when the term brought to mind a swaggering old literary man with opinions on just about everything. Now we'll come back to that side of things and how that idea has changed, but Phil, let's just start with uh, Jacob. Um, you're one of the few journalists who'd uh, written about his research before. Tell us um, what you think is interesting about that research. Well, what I'd written about was, as you, you mentioned, this uh, technique that Jacob has developed for essentially keeping mouse embryos alive um, for a long time uh, artificially. So it's kind of in vitro gestation, you could say. And uh, the technique that he's developed will take them all the way several weeks into gestation. Uh, it's basically up to half the gestation period. So it's up to the point where li the, the limbs are developing, the organs have developed, the heart is beating. Um, you know, you've almost got a little baby mouse at that stage, all in an artificial system, uh, basically a, a glass container with a nutrient medium. Now, I mean, what's interesting is that this was really just a, a kind of byproduct, really. It, it was a means to an end that he and his colleagues developed because what they're really interested in is trying to understand how development happens um, throughout 
the gestation period in in mice as a model for humans and there are you know there are similarities and differences there this is something you can't do for humans certainly at the moment you you couldn't use this technique for growing human embryos this long because in a lot of countries it's simply illegal um, but it may become possible there's recently been a change of uh, recommendations by the international body that sort of regulates this uh, that, that, that suggests that actually we should be uh, allowing researchers to grow human embryos for, for longer than we can uh, already. So this sort of technique might make that possible. But really, it was a means to an end, because what he's trying to understand is how stem cells the very um, early stage cells of an embryo that can grow into any tissue type, how they develop bit by bit into a body, into a mammalian body, what goes on in the cells to make them specialise. And he, so he's really zeroing in on the, the fine details, the molecular details and the genetic details of that process. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, the vote that went this way, because I think it seems to suggest that, that people are really want to know more about this process. It's not so much, you know, there are plenty of other people doing this kind of work, although Jakob is certainly one of the uh, people leading uh, in this area in the world. But there are plenty of others. And I think it reflects a desire to know more about this, what has been so far rather mysterious process of how we get from a fertilised egg to, to us. Yes, I see. So, so, so we get away from just mice embryos, which does sound very specialist in terms of uh, uh, great thinkers, as it were. Um, and you get to the question of, um, you know, where we come from and therefore who we are. But Samir, another feature of this is that, you know, there's, there's quite um, a practical side to this um, work, isn't there? I mean, there is the whole um, business, the Brave New World business of if you want to get to it, like growing uh, babies outside of the body somewhere down the road. But before that, as I alluded to, there's the issue of maybe growing organs for transplant. And now it's the second or third year in a row, isn't it, where we've seen a great premium uh, on uh, practical minds in the ones that come high up in the list. Yes, as you were alluding to earlier, Tom, um, the idea of what constitutes an intellectual or a great thinker uh, seems to have changed quite a lot in the last 15 years, which is as long as um, Prospect has uh, been doing this list. You know, it started off with sort of people like, you know, sort of Melvin Bragg and Christopher Hitchens, you know, great figures as, as, as they are, people who you would describe as sort of generalists or even sort of higher journalists, really, um, to people who are doing quite specific things, but might well have enormous consequences. So I think with 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 Yakupana, it's it's so interesting that you know uh, the things that you know you read about in in, in sci-fi and, and and Phil's piece that he wrote about Anna, um, he identified the whole history of this um, growing babies outside the womb, genetic engineering, um, all the things that may well uh, be much closer than we think. Uh, and it has sort of profound, exciting, but also kind of quite scary consequences. So, um, yeah, I think he was he was an unexpected winner, uh, but a great one. And what I really love about putting the list together is that we all have our predictions of who's going to be the person everyone chooses. And I certainly am never right. <laughs> and I wasn't right this time. I mean, it has to be said, as always with internet votes, there is a danger of these things being gamed. And in the last two years... The sheer weight of votes uh, for um, 
Korsha Berka, who's a Kurdish mathematician who, who won two years ago, and then for um, Shahalia Teacher, KK Shahalia Teacher, who is the um, very successful Kerelin, um Health Minister uh, uh, and, and seen as a great figurehead for handling the COVID crisis. Both of those had so many votes, you kind of thought there's an online campaign at work here. But this time, Samir, it was pretty close, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty close. Um, you know, the, the vote obviously is open up to anyone online, whilst, uh, you know, 15 years ago, it was just generally prospect uh uh, readers, so that will give you a different kind uh, of result. But yeah, the top ten is pleasantly sort of international, isn't it? Um, Carlo Rovelli did almost make it. Another uh, another writer who we profiled, or Phil profiled in Prospect um, uh, uh, earlier this year, and he would have been a, a worthy winner as well, perhaps a slightly less uh, surprising one. But it seems to be quite science—not uh, exactly science-dominated, but there's at least five on there. He would say. Uh, in the scientific field. But Phil, I mean, it's no surprise really, is it, at the moment, after the year and a half we've had where cultural life and economic life and everything else has depended on this some um, microscopic little entity that's um, killed a lot of people and has uh, turned everything on its head. So um, you've always championed the sciences, but everyone can see their value now, I guess. Uh, well, you know, I guess we're, we're alluding here also to the uh, the pair at number five, and I'm going to try to pronounce their names properly, Oslem Tereci and uh, Uhurs Shaheen, the people who were responsible for the basic science behind the, it's actually the Pfizer-BioNTech um, vaccine um, that uh, is, is, is one of these new ones that, that uses this new mRNA technology. Um, so, you know, they're up there at number five. And yeah, it's, it's no surprise that, you know, we're, in a way you could say that was a vote of gratitude. One could equally well have given it, of course, to the people at Oxford, Sarah Gilbert and her collaborators at Oxford, who helped uh, to uh, did the crucial work in developing the AstraZeneca. Um, vaccine. But I think, you know, this obviously reflects the fact that, as you say, Tom, we have been reminded of how, how, how vital basic scientific research can be and probably is going to increasingly be um, in, you know, literally keeping us alive and keeping the world stable. Samir, one of the jobs you always um, have uh, in this, and as a pluralist magazine, it's right we should do this, is we don't just parade our own list we also ask our readers to tell us how wrong we were and who else we should have included is there anyone winding them up this year that we'd failed to include well i'd noticed this actually just you know a couple of weeks after we published and i was looking through the lists of people that were being suggested we had hardly any um economists on our list uh which is perhaps slightly unusual given uh, tom your uh, interest in the interest of the uh, of the magazine um so you know a lot of readers were suggesting you know economic historians like adam twos um amartya sen was a popular name he was actually a winner in 2014 uh thinkers like mariana mazzucato mark carney the ex-governor of the bank of england kate rayworth so i mean i don't know what, what do you think do you why do you think that we weren't so keen on putting economic economists on this year uh, do you think that it's just a sort of um a reflection of maybe of um, their standing now in um, post-2008 or, or do you think it was just, um, I think we just missed them? Um, I think that, I mean, I think they definitely took a knock in 2008 and then in particular with the, the kind of austerity uh, years that kind of like very un, un, unpopular and maybe like, 
you know, if you've been completely objective, maybe unpopular in kind of intellectual circles where universities and places where people saw big funding cuts and to the extent it was economists telling them to do that, they didn't want to hear that. And to the extent that there were economists saying that wasn't necessary and it was all um, uh, all a joke, um, then um, they weren't speaking with one voice. And so I think, you know, the, the economists looked like they didn't see the crisis coming and they had no agreement on uh, the way out. But that was a while ago um, now. I suspect that in just putting together a rounded list, um, once you've had a year of COVID, you just saw some of the places that you'd have given to analytical kind of minds. Because, you know, in, in, in the office, obviously, you're kind of like, well, we've got a playwright over here. We better not have, we can have a data analyst over here, but we better not have two data analysts. You need a bit of balance just to make it a good magazine feature. Um, and I suspect that, like, exactly the same way the readers have put those people and others like um, Devi Srindar, you know, high up the list of the um, of the winners, um, that, that we were probably affected by the same um, uh, mood in the air at the time of, of COVID and sort of thought, well, you know, health more than wealth this year when it comes to what a great mind is. Well, but isn't it the case that we've simply had no economy? to speak of for the past year and a half. Uh, you know, that in a way, uh, perhaps people have thought that maybe the economy isn't as central as, as, as we thought it was when we're faced with a crisis of this sort, that, you know, economists ha- can't, uh, certainly don't have the answers. <laughs> That's right. So we had, um, we had some interesting people there in terms of, um, like, uh, the sort of mix, Samir, the mix of regions um, and, I, uh, and and demographics. You know, we always kind of tend to look and see if it's roughly 50-50 on the, um, on, on the gender front, and it kind of roughly was. See, we've got three people who are either trans or identifying as non-binary, like the winner. Yes, and I think that's just something that, you know, I remember, um, I think my first year at Prospect, um, we had... Uh, I think a trans activist on there, Paris Lees, I think uh, her name was. And I think that was a sort of indication that, oh, this is going to be, you know, the new thing that people are going to be talking about. This was 2015 or something like that. And now you've seen just in six years, um, it's not unusual for us in our editorial processes to be looking up people's pronouns. Uh, it, you know, just have a discussion earlier today about that in the office. Um, and so I suppose that's just a reflective of, of the, in a way, the speed at which um, identities have been sort of shaping and uh, and reforming, really. Um, there's also quite interesting, um, so Mahmoud Mamdani, whose uh, book, Neither Settler Nor Native, uh, was just nominated for the Nifel Rodan Prize today, I saw. He was on our list and he came number three uh, in our top ten. Maybe it's a name that people don't know that well. He's a, a Ugandan Asian who wrote a quite interesting memoir about being thrown out of Uganda by Idi Amin. Uh, but his latest book is was actually all about um, why nation states find it so difficult to accommodate minorities. Um, and uh, he's talking about the Native Americans uh, and uh, in British India, Hindu, Muslim uh, groupings and how colonialism really shaped um, uh, those identities. And, and I think I think like him is actually working at a quite high academic level, but he's also uh, producing work that really speaks to fundamental questions about um what, uh, how nation states can and should accommodate people who historically have been different from the majority. And um, of course, you've got, um, I think, your former teacher, haven't we, Priya Gopal, on there as well. It's another theme of hers is uh, post-colonial 
Ism and the long shadow of empire. And of course, that was there five or ten years ago. So it's interesting to think about what's changed to make it so much more prominent. And I guess, Phil, we've had, um, you know, a big um, crisis, a moment of um, realisation in Europe, how porous the border was and how dangerous the border was. And we've also had in America, Trump just kind of um, stirring up race politics. And of course, now there's an awful lot of very educated uh, minority people who like maybe would have um, thought the same things a while ago, but now have the tools to get their ideas into the public domain in a way they wouldn't have done a generation ago. Well, I I, I wonder whether we're, I mean, I, I guess I wonder whether we're actually seeing a shift. You know, I mean, people have obviously t- talked about that in terms of Black Lives Matter uh, being a, a pivotal moment. Um, you know, but we've also, I mean, certainly in this country, in the UK, but also in the States and elsewhere, you know, we've seen culture wars weaponized. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the fact that it's possible to do that, I think, is a ref- at all is a reflection of the, the questioning of these ideas and these old certainties that are going on. Um, so I, I, I do wonder whether, you know, th- there's some kind of reflection here of a genuine cultural shift that is also perhaps to do with, you know, what, what is it seems very clearly now to be a decline of Western power and influence. Um, and, you know, the, the, I mean, it's interesting that there are in certainly in this top 10, there are no uh, thinkers from East Asia here. I believe that's right. Um, how long is it going to be before that changes? Um, I, I, not very long, I don't think. So, you know, I, 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 I do think that some of this questioning is not just a question of fashion or of voices being heard, but actually reflecting something genuine that's happening in global politics. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, there was quite a few in the top 50, so maybe the, you know, the vote base has yet to catch up in terms of East Asia. But Samir, what do you think in terms of this, you know, the, the whole business of empire is anything but new and yet it's got this new prominence do you think it's a kind of backlash against the trumpian backlash or do you think it's just a reflection of um more diverse points of view which then the whole point about world regions that phil's making would also uh, uh, be a part of well i think it's to do with two things it's to do with demographics in the west and it's to do with technology um so when i was uh, uh Growing up and at school, um, we were taught a little bit about the empire, but it was something that was very delicate to be touched on, simply because um, if if you were the one or two, you know, one or two um, ethnic minorities, uh, uh, Indian descent, as I was at school, um, uh, you know, being taught about the empire was seen as, as quite awkward and, and difficult. If you're teaching a school now, which maybe has 70, 80 or 90 percent um, people descended from uh, uh, let's say Bangladesh or, or India or Pakistan, the whole dynamic of how you're going to teach that is going to be different. Um, and those people are growing up to become um, academics and thinkers, and now they have access to um, uh, uh, technology which can allow them to sort of question narratives. I mean, someone like Priya Gopal, who taught me at Cambridge 20 years ago, um, would have probably been continuing to do her lectures and her you know, um, books and uh, articles and, and all the rest of it, but really Twitter has been her medium and she's got a very sort of punchy, pugnacious voice that uh, attracts other people to it um, who feel their voices haven't 
uh, haven't been heard before. Uh, there has definitely been a, uh, um, a sea change um, in that. And the old, the old assumptions about um, who we are and what our role is and what we should be doing uh, don't really work when you have people who, for example, um, may have an identification with you know, the Muslim world but live in Britain. Um, so how does that work with the war on terror in Iraq and Afghanistan and all those kinds of things? Um, so these sort of dual identities and split identities are inevitably going to be changing the conversation. In the slightly longer list, we saw um, uh, we included a few people who were, um, uh, you know, there because they recognised in some sense a new form. And in fact, um, one of them, Peter Adamson, a great podcaster on the history of philosophy, made it into the top 10. But then um, you also had... Um, uh, the Lebanese, I think, artist, Lawrence Abu Hamadan, uh, who uh, was working in multi, um, uh, multimedia forms to bring attention to um, human rights questions. As we look ahead, Samir, we're already seeing this list reshaped by tech. What kind of domains do you think um, the, the future thinkers of the late 2020s are going to be in? Is there anything you, you're already aware that we're seeing? Yeah, those those two are quite interesting. I mean, Lawrence Abraham does this thing called um, forensic architecture as part of one the, the the Turner Prize, I think, a couple of years ago, uh, and it's to do just using sound installations to recreate uh, Syrian jails. So using, but talking about human rights, um, but also uh, technology. Um, I wonder whether you know we've been talking about uh, these things called NFTs, non fungible tokens. Uh, which whenever I read about and try and uh, have explained to me, um, then um, I immediately uh, understand it, then forget it about five minutes later and have to be <laughs> reminded about what it actually is. And we've seen a story in the news about um, Banksy having a sort of fake NFT, um, which has uh, brought more attention to it. Um, uh, and even this morning, somebody was, uh, a colleague was saying that El Salvador have just introduced Bitcoin as a national currency to work alongside uh, the dollar. So um, uh, all these new uh, innovations in technology, um, some will fade away, some will just be fads, um, but uh, they're going to be really interesting. I mean, one name on there who we debated quite a lot whether to put on is um, Elon Musk. Um, and uh, obviously um, a bit of a divisive uh, figure and he has been uh, his... Uh, space uh, exploration thing seems a bit of a vanity project to some, but really when we just look to the figures with Tesla uh, and the amazing ubiquity of it now, uh, he definitely has to be on that list. I was just driving on the motorway down from London at the service station down back from Devon last week, uh, and there was like a Tesla recharging point just next to like the, um, the McDonald's. Uh, and that change, that sea change in us, in the way that we're going to be using cars, is um, that he was there really to note that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting just how interested people are in Musk, isn't it? I think Jill Lepore of The New Yorker's got a kind of six-part, half-hour Radio 4 documentary series running at the moment. It's been going all summer about Elon Musk, and you just think, um, you know, what a, what a talking point he is. But, Phil, I'm going to bring it back to you now, finally, to, to kind of close off. I mean... Um, uh, because it is, as we've said, a kind of fairly heavily scientific um, list. We've obviously had the year of COVID. You tell us if there's going to be 
um, more of these pandemics to worry about. But I imagine at least it will be some years before um, epidemiology and things like that go really back into being the backwater. But of course, the other thing as is in all of our minds ahead of this COP summit, so-called in Glasgow in the autumn, is climate change. And that one certainly isn't going to recede from public view. So we, we, there's good reason to think scientists are going to remain near the top of the bill for a while, I'd have thought. I think definitely, yeah. And uh, I was thinking exactly the same, Tom, that, uh, you know, climate change, I, I sort of feel climate hasn't obviously yet found its public intellectual. Um, you know, it's found its campaigner, probably in Greta Thunberg, um, but it, it, it doesn't have, you know, it, it, it's not that you, you have David Attenborough, you've had Jim Lovelock, but they're, you know, they're speaking really to and from another generation. Um, it, it's got to happen. I think there's got to be, you know, uh, it needs to happen. Um, there needs to be someone who's going to be able to open up the debate and move it along. I think also um, what one topic that I don't think is represented here that we're going to be hearing more and more about is AI. Um, and, uh, you know, that too um, is becoming an area where it's not just about tech. It's about the people who found the, find the right framings and find the, 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 the philosophical framings in particular that I think are going to become more and more important as it becomes more and more important. Uh, you know, and there are going to be big questions about how it's going to fit in to our society or not, how we're going to relate to it. So I think that too, I imagine, is going to become an area where, you know, public intellectuals are going to, of some sort, are going to become more prominent. Excellent. Well, I've, you'll be pleased to hear I've just been editing physicist Lawrence Krauss on the uh, uh, what's certain and what isn't in um, uh, climate change for our next magazine. Um, but I think for Thinkers um, 2021, we should leave that there. Um, so can I say um, uh, thanks very much, obviously, to um, Samir and to Phil. Um, thanks to all of you for listening at home. Our producer is Sarah Collins. And if you enjoyed the podcast, do leave us a rating and review. Goodbye, stay safe, and we'll see you again next week.